interesting, yeah, great. Let me ask you, what do you do when you see a gorgeous sunset or a full moon or maybe a funny cat video on YouTube or maybe you find a great new coffee shop uh, or a new band or you find a great new playground or a craft brewery or a fashion label? What do you do? Well, your first reaction is to enjoy it. Uh, But then for most of us, our second reaction is to look around and think, who can I share this with? Who can I tell who will really appreciate it? Why do we do that? I think there are two reasons. Firstly, because a pleasure shared is a pleasure doubled. Pleasure shared is a pleasure doubled. We get extra enjoyment out of seeing someone else enjoy uh, what we've just enjoyed. It's not just the experience, it's the shared experience, which makes something even better. Uh, The second reason we want to share good things is because we want our friend to benefit. We want them to have a good laugh, perhaps, or to find joy, just like we have. And that's at the heart of why many people in our church are quite evangelistic about a certain diet. Uh, Lots of people have found it a really effective way to lose weight, there's other health benefits as well, and they want their friends to benefit as well. Uh, and people have found that this topic of food and uh, a certain diet seem to find its way into all sorts of conversations. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were just as enthusiastic about sharing our Lord and Saviour as we were about our diet? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got such joy and benefit from Jesus that telling others just bubbled out of us uh, because we want them to know that joy as well? And that's what we see Uh, in this uh, portrait of the Apostle Andrew, how he manages to bring people to Jesus. First thing we notice about Andrew is his name, Andreas. It's Greek for man or or manly. Uh, And it may be that John the author wants us to see him as a representative man, a representative disciple. This is every man, true man, if you like, someone for us to imitate. He's Mr Average. Uh, One writer calls him the saint of the rank and file. He was never known as a great teacher, preacher, scholar. God never used him to write scripture. He's less well known than some of the other disciples. Verse 40 refers to him simply as Simon Peter's brother. (laughs) Uh, Have you got a family like that? (laughs) Uh, It used to be that people would say to me, oh, you're Christie's son. But now Dad's retired and it becomes, apparently, it's happening more and more, oh, you're David's father. Uh, I don't know whether you're in a sort of relationship like that, but uh, Simon uh, seems to be the one who's more well known and Andrew gets referred to as Simon Peter's brother. But that doesn't mean Andrew doesn't have an impact. Ordinary people make a difference. Andrew's the first one to meet Jesus. In the Greek Orthodox Church, he's called Protokletos, the first called. Greeks always like to emphasise how they, you know, they are the origin of everything good, and so they want to claim Andrew. Uh, it's Andrew who brings Peter to Jesus. Uh, jump back up to verse 35. Notice how Andrew met Jesus. John's out in the wilderness. He's baptising people. He's with two of his disciples. Uh, they're unnamed at the moment. John sees Jesus walking past and he points his disciples to him and he says, look, the Lamb of God. It's actually the second time 
It's a summary of what he'd said the day before. Back up in verse 29 he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away or who carries the sin of the world. Remember, dealing with sin is what John the Baptist's ministry is all about. He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Mark chapter 1 verse 4 says. In Matthew's Gospel, people, uh, we read that people are coming to John in the wilderness confessing their sins and he's baptising them in the Jordan. Luke's Gospel, uh, John the Baptist preaches that people need to produce fruit. That's in keeping with repentance. They need to share with others. They need to not be greedy. They need to be just and fair. They need to be content. But even as John the Baptist is doing all those things, he recognises that he can't deal with sin. He can preach about people changing their attitudes, changing their behaviour, but he can't change people's nature. He can't change them so that they won't sin anymore. He can't change them so they won't want to sin anymore. He can't bring forgiveness. He can't remove guilt. He's only introducing the one who really can deal with sin, Jesus who will baptise with the Holy Spirit, who will bring new birth, who will bring genuine change. And here in John's Gospel he calls Jesus the Lamb of God who carries the sin of the world. It's the language of the sacrificial sin offering. Leviticus 1 verse 4 says, says that when the priest offers an animal to pay for sin, he's to lay his hand on the head of the animal and it'll be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for his sin. The priest, by laying his hand on the animal, symbolises that this animal represents him. He becomes one with the sacrifice. His sin, his guilt, in a sense, is transferred to the animal and the animal carries it and then dies for it on behalf of the one whose hand touches the animal and who, rep- and, and who that person represents. That's what John's talking about here. Someone who can deal with your sin, someone who can carry it, who can remove it, who can bear God's wrath for it in your place. John realises his preaching can't do that. His water baptism can't do that. The changed behaviour of his hearers and the good intentions of his hearers can't do that. It's no wonder he points his disciples to Jesus instead. It's no wonder his disciples follow Jesus instead. And there they are. There are all sorts of ways you can help your friends and family. You can give them good advice, you can give them practical help, you can give them financial support, you can be a shoulder to cry on but you can't carry their sin. Only Jesus can do that. And so do what John the Baptist did. Point your friends to Jesus. Well, the two disciples changed their allegiances. They were disciples of John, now they're disciples of Jesus instead. Before long we'll find out one of them's name is Andrew. The other one is unnamed. It probably means it's John, the writer of the Gospel. Verse 38 and 39, they ask Jesus where he's staying and he invites them back and they spend the day there with him. 
And most of our English translations say something like that. But a more literal translation of the Greek gives a, a different emphasis and see if you can pick up what's repeated. They asked, Teacher, where are you remaining or dwelling? He said, Come and see. So they went and saw where he remained or dwelt and they remained with him or dwelt with him that day. Just in case you didn't pick it up, remaining with Jesus seems pretty important. In fact, John's Gospel loves that word. He uses it 40 times in 21 chapters. Especially when we get to John chapter 15 and Jesus describes himself as the vine and the disciples are the branches and he says you can't bear any fruit You can't live a life that God wants unless you remain in me, unless you're joined to me, unless you gain your life from being connected to me. For John, the Christian life is about following Jesus, trusting him and then remaining in him, remaining with him. And Andrew, our representative, our true man, he gives us that example to follow. Follow Jesus, remain with him. Don't follow human leaders. They can't carry your sin. Don't follow me. I can't carry your sin. Don't follow our elders. Don't follow the celebrities. They can't carry your sin. Follow Jesus. Trust him. Remain with him. Don't remain with anyone else. That's the model Andrew gives us. Now, we don't know exactly how long they were talking for. It's it's slightly confusing when it talks about the tenth hour. Uh, We don't know what they talked about but it must have been a pretty significant conversation because the first chance Andrew gets, once he leaves Jesus, he goes and tells his brother Simon, we found the Messiah. You won't believe it, we found him. And then he brings him to Jesus. Andrew follows after Jesus on the base of John the Baptist's recommendation. Look, the Lamb of God. And by the end of the day, he understands that he is the lamb who bears his sin. He is the Messiah who's washed away his sin. He experiences something wonderful and he wants to share it. He wants to double the joy by sharing it with the brother he loves. He wants Peter to know that. He hears about Jesus, he follows him, he tells Peter and then he brings Peter. That's the process. And then when Peter meets Jesus, we see the next step in the chain. Verse 42, Jesus looks at him and says, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. Andrew means man. Peter means rock. In the future, Peter will be part of the foundation stone that Jesus builds his church on. One of the key people in the church, a church that grows and spreads because people like Peter and Andrew hear about Jesus, trust him, tell others and then bring them to Jesus as well. And it all begins because Andrew tells Peter and brings him to Jesus. Well, that's Andrew and Peter, but they're not the only uh, people Andrew tells. It's not just his family. There are even people Andrew doesn't know. Uh, We get a couple of small glimpses in Andrew's method of evangelism and they're only found in John's Gospel, which is interesting. Maybe John, that other unnamed disciple back in chapter 1, maybe he's a close friend of Andrew. 
Uh, He's the only one who noticed these small acts of obedience and he's the only one who records them. We don't know. John 6, a huge crowd followed Jesus and the disciples up on a mountain. Uh, Philip can't see any way to feed the whole crowd. Verse 7, he says that even if they had eight months' wages, it wouldn't be enough to buy uh, a bite for everybody. In verse 8, Andrew comes into the story. Have a look at it there. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And do you like the, the rest of this sentence? But how far will they go among so many? It's such a small decision, it's such a small step of faith, but how Jesus used it. Andrew's looking around. Perhaps he's gone for a walk out among the crowd to, to have a chat with people. And he finds a boy, mum's packed him lunch. He can't see how one lunchbox is going to help. But he does what he seems to be in the habit of doing. He brings the boy to Jesus. Andrew can't fix the problem but he goes to the one who can. He brings Jesus what he's got and he trusts Jesus for the rest. It's not even very big faith, is it? But how far will that go among so many? Yet Jesus multiplied that small act of obedience and used it to bless thousands. Jesus could have produced food out of thin air He didn't need that lunchbox, did he? But he worked with what Andrew brought him. He loves to see our dependence and faith. God can bring about his purposes without us praying, but he loves to see our dependence. He loves to see us asking. He loves to see us recognising that we need God to answer our prayers, to do his will. He loves us to ask. Can you follow Andrew? Can you come to Jesus and bring what you've got? Can you come part way? Can you come with your questions, with your uncertainties and then trust him for the rest? Jesus, here's my unbelieving family. I've tried to share you with them for years but they're not interested and I keep messing up. I'm not sure what you can do with them or with me. Jesus, here's my university friends. They're all far smarter than me and everything they say always sounds so reasonable and well thought out. I never seem to be able to answer their questions very well. I'm not sure how you're ever going to be able to save them but here they are. Jesus, here's my gifts and talents. It's not much. I'm inconsistent. My prayer life isn't much. I'm not experienced. But there's a need for a scripture teacher, a musician, someone to meet up with that new Christian. I'm not sure how I can help, but here I am. Can you be an Andrew? Can, can you bring what you've got to Jesus and then leave the rest to him? Well, our last cameo about Andrew is in John chapter 12. 
I've gone past it. All right. uh, John chapter 12, Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover. He's just entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, the crowds are cheering him, they're blessing him as the King of Israel. But it's not only the Jews who are attracted to Jesus. Uh, verse 20 of John chapter 12, we read that there are some Greeks there uh, for the Passover as well. Seems like they're investigating the Jewish faith and they see this one who all the Jews are celebrating and they want to find out more. And so they ask Philip, one of the disciples, perhaps uh, his Greek name means he was uh, particularly good at Greek. We don't really know why they went to Philip first. But for some reason, rather than Philip taking them straight to Jesus, he goes to Andrew. And look at what Andrew does. It's no surprise, chapter 12, verse 22, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. That's all we're told. It's such a small gesture, you hardly notice it, but it may have been life-changing for those Greeks. Can you do that? Bringing people in from the fringes to meet Jesus. For Andrew, they were Gentiles who hadn't been included in God's people up to this point. But Andrew understood that they were part of the world whose sin the Lamb of God had come to carry. These Greeks were part of the world that God loved so much that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Andrew believed that and so he brought these Greeks to Jesus. Let me introduce you to the one who can deal with it. He believes that anyone can have forgiven sins through Jesus. That's all we're told here in this little episode. We don't know what happened when Jesus met them, whether they became disciples or not. And in a sense that's probably fitting as we look to copy, G, uh, to copy Andrew because it works that way for us too, doesn't it? We never know how things will turn out. Often we don't even find out afterwards how things have turned out. But Jesus' salvation doesn't depend on whether we're aware of the outcome. It doesn't depend on whether we ever see that person again who we've managed to have one conversation with. It doesn't depend on our work at all, of course. We can't save them, we can't carry their sin, but we can bring them to Jesus, as Andrew did, and we can leave the rest up to him. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus like that? Have you had your sin carried and forgiven and dealt with? Maybe you're old, maybe you're young, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about sins being forgiven through Jesus, maybe it's the hundredth time. But if you don't know what it means to walk through your life with the burden of your sin and your guilt removed, then come to Jesus. Let him carry it for you. I can't do it, but I can bring you to the one who can. Many of us have already done that. So I want to encourage you to do what Andrew did next. You've come to Jesus, you've trusted him, now go and find someone to tell, someone that you can bring to Jesus. Probably you're an ordinary person like Andrew, but God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. 
You can't save your friends or family or workmates but you can bring them to Jesus who can. You can't deal with their sin and guilt but you can bring them to Jesus who can. You can bring them to Jesus in prayer. You can introduce them to the Bible where they can meet Jesus. You can bring them to events. You can introduce them to other people who can explain what following Jesus looks like. And then you can leave the rest up to Jesus because he is the Lamb of God who carries the sin of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that many of us have seen Jesus and trusted him and followed him. Please help us uh, to understand uh, how much uh, the world needs Jesus and to bring those people we know and love that they too can enjoy him. Amen.